Good morning. A couple weeks ago, my family went on vacation, and uh, when, uh, when that sad day came, when it's all over, uh, we uh, had to start our trek back. We used to live in Pennsylvania, and that's where Bethany's family still lives, so we drove out that way and then met up with them and, and went to Maryland or Delaware or Maryland, somewhere on the Maryland-Delaware line. I don't actually know where we were. We were near the beach. So driving from there back to Indiana, that's far. And we have four small kids in a small van, so there's that. <laughs> so we're driving back, and uh, we need to get food. We stayed, spent the night in uh, Pennsylvania for one night, and then you know, we're making our way back home. Um, and I'm the navigator, and so Bethany's driving, and she asks me, you know, can you find a Chick-fil-A? Because she loves Chick-fil-A. Everybody loves Chick-fil-A. And it's like, yeah, we found a Chick-fil-A, and we, uh, we're driving in, and like, I'm an adult, like, I'm a grown man, right? But still, some things are still exciting, and I happen to see, next to the Chick-fil-A, my favorite fast casual restaurant, Mod Pizza, and out loud, I'm like, yay! <laughs> I was excited, because Mod Pizza, Mod Pizza just gets me. Mod Pizza, if you've never been there, is like a, uh, no, I don't own any stock in Mod Pizza, I just like it. It's like a Chipotle for pizza. There's like 50 ingredients to pick your crust, and they dress up whatever you want on it. And I love it because I can get crazy. Like I want like 15 toppings. I want half and half. Like I wanted to get half barbecue chicken with blue cheese and bacon, and and then this other half. Who said O? Like hopefully that's a good O, because it's delicious. And the other half, I wanted pesto and white sauce and chicken and arugula and like every kind of cheese you had. I'm very excited. So. I place my order, and I watch this, this young woman start to make it, and she's treating the barbecue sauce like there is a worldwide shortage. She's like, oh, you want a barbecue sauce on this side? Bloop. Bloop. I'm like, what is going on? And so I am super bummed out as I'm watching this. She's, she's very stingy with the sauces, very stingy with the toppings. I'd been so excited for this place because I love it. And I get there, and I'm just disappointed in this pizza. I was so bummed out. A couple of splashes of barbecue sauce here, a couple ladles of white sauce there. I didn't want a pizza that was partially filled with sauce and toppings. I wanted a pizza that was fully filled with sauce and toppings, right? That's what I wanted. Put as many on there. What is the maximum amount of structural weight that crust can hold? That is not what I got, and I was super disappointed. Fully filled is always better than partially filled. And that's what we're going to look at this morning as we continue our series, Enough, on the book of Colossians. We're going to read where we left off last week, Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 to 17, just these three verses. If you brought a Bible with you or if you uh, have a Bible on your iPhone, on your phone or your tablet, you can follow along with us. Colossians 3, verse 15. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. And always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. This is such a good summary of the book of Colossians right here. Paul is emphasizing in clear and in strong terms, I mean really, really sharply, that Jesus is more than enough. 
Jesus is more than enough for us. And he fleshes that out, the peace of Christ. He fleshes that out through the, the message of Christ. And he fleshes that out that in everything we do, we're representatives of Christ. And we're going to look at those three ideas right now. They start from the internal and they move to the external. They start with who we are individually and they move to how we live with others communally. First is let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. When Paul says peace, I think he's doing something cool here. I think he's doing something on purpose. Paul lives at a time and place in the world, in the Roman Empire, where there is this thing that we call the Pax Romana. It means the Roman peace. All right, what, what that is talking about is from 27 BC to 180 AD, there was a, a prolonged period of peace that the Roman Empire had kicked butt and, and taken names and had established this empire, and there was a sustained period of peace. I mean, it's incredible. Let me show you a map of what that would have looked like. This whole area, scholars now think, estimate that maybe a third of the world's population lived in this area. And this whole region was connected through a series of well-engineered Roman roads, which meant that they could easily move people and, and resources and, and military forces if needed to really any point in here. This peace pervaded this area. This peace controlled everyone's well-being, right? This peace dominated there. Greek was the common language that was spoken throughout there. So what you have is a large interconnected region with many different people groups all united under one empire and connected through one language experiencing lasting peace. I think Paul is using this to say, that's a picture of a good peace that you experience, but let me point you to a better peace. Let me point you to a forever peace. Let me point you to a lasting peace. Because the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, lasted 207 years or so. The peace of Christ lasts forever. Because even in the midst of the Pax Romana, there's still skirmishes. There's still some turmoil. It's not like it's happy fun land and it's all lollipops and rainbows and everybody's like, you're the best. The peace of Christ is both bigger and smaller. It's richer and wider and yet more intimate and more personal. And I think Paul's using this image to point us to something. I think he's really trying to say to the Colossians, I know you know what this is because you're living in it. Now imagine something even better. Imagine something forever. When he talks about peace, he means unity, healthy relationships, oneness. It's not just an, an absence of hostility. Think about it like a, what a healthy team looks like. A health, think of a healthy sports team. They don't all have to be best friends, right? But they all have a goal, a common goal. And they're striving together for this goal. And so there's a oneness in that. They want to accomplish this goal together. And I think that's what he's hitting at. And so he talks about the peace of Christ. And he says, let it rule in your hearts. Let it rule in your hearts. Now rule is a strong word. What he means is let this peace have the power and control in your life. Let peace has the legal authority because it rules. Peace must make the final decision. Our decision process is based on what furthers peace, and not just for us individually, but communal peace. And that's actually a really good thing. Because when we know who God is and what he's done through Jesus, we can experience that peace. That means there's no more striving, right? There's no more trying. There's no more white-knuckling life. There's no more, well, if I, just, if I just tried a little hard, if I'm just a little bit better, if I just dug in, that's exhausting. We don't have to try and do because it's already been done. That peace quiets the noise in our soul 
and it meets our deepest longing. Jesus allows us to be at peace with God and at peace with ourselves so that we can be at peace with others too. What he's getting at here is when you know Jesus, you know peace. When you know Jesus, you know peace. Do you feel peaceful? What are the areas of conflict in your life and in your heart? What keeps you from experiencing peace there? What do you worry about? What are you anxious about? What keeps you unsettled? Maybe for you it's financial issues. Maybe you're having a hard time making ends meet and you're not sure where the next grocery bill is going to come from. Maybe for you it's hurts from past relationships. Maybe it's a broken relationship with your dad or your mom or your husband or your spouse or your siblings. Maybe it's something like that. Maybe it's a broken relationship and, and you just, it just eats at you and, and you're so uneasy about it. Maybe you struggle with your place in your family or, or in your workplace. Is peace what guides you? Does what you say and do foster peace for yourselves and for others? Paul lays this out here. And the challenging thing is, it's not just peace for us. I think most of us would like that idea. Peace, that sounds appealing. When the Bible talks about peace, the peace of Christ, it's the peace that surpasses all understanding. It's the peace that is too big for me to wrap my pea brain around. That sounds great. But we struggle with that because it's not just the peace for us, it's peace for others too. Are you concerned about the needs for others? Are you concerned about the well-being of others? Are you acting in love towards others? Even others outside your immediate sphere. Even others who are wildly different than you. When we don't feel that peace, when we don't feel peaceful, it's because peace is an idea in our life and not the central concept that governs how we live and interact with others. Folks, I want to say it again. We're not just called to live an individual life, but also a collective life. And when our individual life is filled with peace, we foster peace in the collective life, in the, in the life of the community we're a part of. It's not just peace for us, but peace for all. Are we working to include others in that peace? Are we working to extend that peace to different people? We are grateful and we're blessed enough, we're fortunate enough to live in a country that values peace. We're fortunate enough to live in a country that gets that idea. We're, we're a country founded by refugees that were escaping political and religious persecution and found a place where they could experience some peace. The problem for us now is that we often live isolated lives, inwardly focused, concerned with ourselves. If we're honest, we're often so grateful we have found a little sliver of peace that we walk through the door and we close it behind us and we no longer worry about who is on the outside. We're grateful we found our place and we stop thinking about what it felt like to not know it. Folks, the very nature of being a Christian is that of a refugee. The very nature of being a Christian is that of a refugee. We have fled our chaos and, and the turmoil of our old lives. We're welcomed into a new land and a new home, one of peace, not because we've earned it, not because of who we are, not because of what we have made possible, but instead because of what God has done on our behalf. The gospel, the good news about Jesus, it makes us all the same. 
We are sinners in need of the love and of the grace and of the mercy of God. We need that peace. None of us has earned that peace. How could any of us exclude others from it? What Paul wants us to understand here, he wants us to know peace personally and to pursue peace externally. He wants us to know peace in our lives, but also to pursue peace for others. We have peace because of Jesus, but again, it's not just for us. We're called to this idea of oneness and unity, to invite others into that peace and to seek it for them, not just for ourselves. Second thing that he lays out here is to let the word of Christ fill your life. Let the word of Christ fill your life. That peace that we just talked about serves as a foundation upon which the message of Jesus can fill our lives. When he says the message about Christ, really means this idea of word of Christ. And, and Jesus is actually connected with that idea of word in John chapter 1. He doesn't just mean the words Jesus said, although those are included too. He means the message of the gospel, the good news about God's heart for people, his redemptive movement towards them, him sending his son as, as fully God and fully man into our world to rescue us from our brokenness. The good news that God loves us so much he made a way out. When we say the message, that's what he's talking about. That's the word. It's God revealing himself to us, not just through his Bible, but ultimately through his son. Jesus talks about it like this in John 17, 17. He's talking to, to God the Father here. He says, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. So he's really saying this message about Christ, this is truth. This is the core of truth. And he says, let it dwell in you. Let it fill your lives. I love those images. Let it fill your life. Not give it a part of your life, right? Let it fill your life. Think of it like your house. This isn't like give it a one-room kind of addition you built on the back. It's give it free reign of the house. Think of it like your kids. Your kids fill your house. There is stuff everywhere. Let the message of Christ fill your life. Let it take up residence in your life. Let it touch absolutely every corner of your life. Let it have ample room there. And I know that's easier said than done. I get that. I know there are spaces and there are corners that we don't want God to get into. But what he's pointing out here is let God fill it. Because it's only when we let that message of God fill us that that truth can begin to renew and to heal those broken parts. The irony is we want to keep God out of the rooms we've messed up when God is saying, let me fix it for you. You want to hide this because you're ashamed of what people might think. I can bring healing. You will never be able to make this right on your own, but I can. Let me. Let me. Let that truth in so that it can fill us, so that it can shape us, so that it can direct us in every single nook and cranny of our lives and of our hearts. That's what God wants us to experience. Everybody likes balloons, right? Everybody like balloons? Balloons? Okay, think of it like this. Have a balloon. We're supposed to fill our lives. That's what Paul's talking about. Fill your life, right? Fill your life. Fill it fully. Fill it fully. So if you were to take a balloon, all right, it's filled evenly, right? It's, it's evenly dispersed, but it's not filled fully. 
And the problem with that is it's just not that impressive. I mean, it's enough that you can see them holding a balloon. But if you tried to give this to your kids, you're like, hey, kids, here's a balloon. They'd be like, wow, that's kind of sad and floating higher than I hoped it would. (laughs) Hang on, let me try that again. Pretend I'm saying all that again for the first time. Here's a balloon, unimpressive. Look at that. (laughs) Boy, it is a fine line on the helium there. But it's nothing. It's this little like rubber thing with some air in it. It's not doing what it's supposed to do. Sort of. (laughs) But if you're to take a balloon and fill it fully, I mean really, really fill it. Now that's different. This is a totally different story. This is a much bigger balloon. That is filled. It's going to accomplish its purpose in a different way. I mean, look at that. That's much more fun. Oh, great. Right on the light. Right on the light. (laughs) Couldn't have done it if I tried. (laughs) Those two things are radically different. They're radically different. And so when we tell ourselves filling it a little bit is fine, it's just not the case. We're missing out, right? Filling it a little bit, it's worthless. Filling it with this much air does nothing. Well, maybe not nothing. It does a little bit. It does a little bit. God wants us to allow him to fill all of us, to let his truth in and take up residence in us. That'll be fun later. (laughs) Paul wants this truth to not just carve out a corner of our minds, but to fill our lives completely and fully. And he talks about how through teaching and through worship. And what I love is he says, teach each other. Because what he's saying is, you all have access to God. When you surrender your life to Jesus, you have access to him. How do we look to encourage and support and walk with and put our arms around? How do we look to actively learn more about who God is and allow our picture of him to grow? And he also talks about expressing it through worship. We don't sing songs up here every Sunday because there's some code somewhere that says we have to. We do it because there is meaning in it. There is a chance to connect with God through worship in a way that stirs our hearts. It's powerful. I don't know about you, but there have been times where I've come to church and my heart is not in it. And then we start singing and at some point I'm just drawn into a place that I wasn't willing to go on my own. How do we let God fill all of those spaces of our lives to surrender to the message of Jesus and allow it into our hearts at a deeper and deeper level so that it becomes the core of who we are? How do we allow truth to fill us and to shape us at our core Because knowledge changes perspective and perception. As we grow in our knowledge about God, as our picture of him gets bigger, we can't help but be thankful of that. We can't help but be thankful. The better we know God, the more thankful we are. Because we realize truly how broken we are and how great and loving God is and that he would make a way for us. When we realize we have been rescued, from as deep a pit as we have been, how could we not be thankful for that? So how do you let that truth in? How do you fill your life with it? I think the first thing is read. 
right? God gave us the Bible. God gave us a letter. He gave us sort of an owner's manual. He said, I want you to understand me, so I'm giving you this. That's why we're doing the Ridge Reading Challenge. When you fill your life fully with that truth, not only does it begin to bring light and hope and love into those corners of your heart that you've closed off, it also pushes out the other stuff that shouldn't have been there to begin with. Meditate on it. And that's just a fancy word that just means mull on it, think about it, stew on it. When you hear something about God that sticks with you, come back to it. Let it sink into your heart at a deeper level. Ask questions. I love when people ask questions. I love it. I got to meet with someone this week who was wrestling with with some big questions in their life, and that was the highlight of my week. I love getting to walk with people through that stuff because I have those questions too. Reflect on your life. What are those areas that you're keeping this truth out? Folks, when you grow in knowledge, you also grow in thankfulness. The more you know about God, the bigger your picture gets, the harder and harder it is to not be thankful to him. Let the message of Jesus, the fullness of the gospel, fully saturate your life. Let it spread into every corner so that it transform you. Allow that to spread. Because when we experience the fullness of God, we can't help but be thankful. One writer says it this way, the peace of Christ rules where the word of Christ dwells. The last thing that Paul lays out here is let the name of Christ guide and direct what you say and do. Let the name of Christ guide and direct what you say and do. When he says name of Christ, what he means here is do it as a representative of Jesus. Right? Do it as a representative of Jesus. An ambassador has no authority of their own. They have the authority given to them by the one who sent them. And so we do it as a representative of Jesus. Think about it like being on a team, right? You get a uniform. And when you wear a uniform, your actions and what you say and do, it reflects on your team. It reflects on your employer. There are expectations when you put a uniform on. The Yankees famously are very strict about their personal appearance policy for their players. Ever since George Steinbrenner took over, you have to have short hair. You can't have facial hair except for a mustache. Uh, And so when they drafted Clint Frazier, who was a great prospect, a great baseball player, he looked like this. This is Clint Frazier. There's a lot of just everything going on. When they called him up to the major leagues, though, Clint looked like this. Yeah, I heard a whistle over there. There are expectations on him because he's part of that team. And the same is true for us. When we know Jesus, when we have a relationship with him, we're called by Paul here to speak and act because of the name and by the power of the name of Jesus as king. And he says, do it in everything. In everything. What we do, how we act. As we surrender to the message of Jesus and allow it into our hearts at a deeper and deeper level, so that it becomes part of the core of who we are. We are able to live it out in ways we couldn't on our own. As Jesus changes us, we think and talk and act differently. I think if most Christians were honest, I think most of us would say that, you know, functionally, we should do anywhere from some things to most things as a representative of Jesus, right? I think most people who call themselves a Christian aren't going to say, well, I don't have to do anything. So it's going to fall in the continuum between some things and most things. But Paul is saying everything. Do everything. Let Jesus infect and affect all we say and do. 
Let Jesus influence and empower everything we say and do because we serve a new master now. We serve a new master now. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 says this, You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. That high price is his son. We have been bought. God traded our broken life for a better life through him, through a wholeness of, of life through him. He bought our old life. We serve a new master now. And truthfully, we, we need a new master because we make a mess of it. We're a hot mess on our own. If we give away any space to our old selves, if we give away any room to the, our old way of doing things, we will gradually drift back there. Those habits are hard to get rid of. Think of it like this. If you're cooking a stew, your stew will have the flavor of your dominant ingredient. Is your dominant ingredient Jesus? When you know Jesus, you know transformation. When you know Jesus, you know transformation. So how do you do that? How do you experience that transformation? How do you let Jesus affect and infect everything you say and do? I think one of the ways you can start is take inventory. Take inventory of your life. Think back on yesterday. Think back on this past week. What would you do differently if Jesus were in the room with you? What would you do differently if you had to watch a play-by-play of your last week with Jesus sitting next to you? Yeah, there's, a, there's a lot of nervous laughter inside. We're all like, <laughs> that's not happening, is it? We're nervous because we know that we mess up. We know that we're not perfect. We know that's true. Pause when you're making a decision is another step. Pause. Just take a pause and go, what would it look like for me to honor Jesus in this? This isn't like the old WWJD. Or, uh, what would Jesus do? I always found that really hard because, you know, I'm not Jesus. But in this instance, here we can ask ourselves, would this honor Jesus? When I pause in, in making a decision, would this honor Jesus? Would this reflect well on Jesus? Would this show other people the greatness of Jesus? Would this show other people how much I love Jesus? We can also live empowered by Jesus. Does absolutely everything you say and do reflect him? What step could you take to live that out this week? Because God is not saying to you, figure this out on your own. God is saying, I want to work in and through you. Honestly, God is saying, get get out of my way. Let me work. Let me move. That's the beauty of this. We're not called to some standard we can't reach on our own. We're called to a standard that God has met for us through his son and that he enables us to move towards through his spirit. What step could you take this week to live this out? It's in big stuff, right? It's in big things in our lives. We need to live this out in the the monumental stuff, like when you have conflict with someone else, how you treat your spouse, how you parent your children. How do we represent the name of Jesus in those big areas? But it's in the small areas too, the things that we often ignore. How you treat your server at a restaurant. How you handle your finances, how you respond when a cashier gives you too much change back, the kind of jokes you tell. The reason that Paul calls us to this is this is the way we experience the life that we want to know. This is how we scratch the itch in our soul that we just can't get to go away on its own. Allow truth to shape you and direct everything you do. 
That's what it comes down to. Allow truth to shape you and direct everything you do. When we live and act and talk in the name of Jesus, we are being obedient. And through that obedience, we're living a life of thankfulness. Or said another way, faithfulness leads to obedience. Obedience expresses thankfulness. Faithfulness leads to obedience. Obedience expresses thankfulness. Because of Jesus, we no longer serve ourselves in our old nature. We serve a new master. We have a new king, a good king. How can we reflect that new king in all we say and do? Because we aren't our own anymore. We're his. So Paul's summing up. So Paul's getting at. When you know Jesus, you know peace. So know peace personally and pursue peace externally. When you know Jesus, you know truth. So when you grow in knowledge, you can also grow in thankfulness. When you know Jesus, you know transformation. Allow truth to shape you and direct everything you do. We want these kind of healthy, meaningful, substantive relationships with others. We, we want them. We may act like we don't sometimes, but we really do. And Paul is saying this is how we experience it, not on our own, but through the work of Jesus. Is what you're doing right now working for you? Is what you're doing right now causing your life to turn out perfectly? If not, why not try something else? For some of you, this hits home because if you're like me, you get your brokenness is right on the surface of your heart. The things that you fail at stick with you, and it's hard to shake those things. And so this talk of Jesus being free from this, doing everything in a better way, in a different way, is really appealing. It's like, man, I want to be that way. I want that freedom that Jesus offers because failure just sits on the top of my heart. But I know there's some of you that are sitting here going, yeah, this sounds great, and I know there are people that need to hear this. There are people really that are hurting and that are kind of messed up that really need to hear this, but that's not me. I'm not like that. I got it together. And what I would say to you is, one, if you're honest, not with me, but with yourself, I know that there is brokenness somewhere. We just do a really good job of trying to hide it. But what I'd also say is, no matter how good you think your life is on your own, it is a shadow of what God has created you to experience. When you settle for the good that you have manufactured for yourself, the success that you've managed to achieve on your own, the relationships you've managed to cultivate, when you settle for those things, you are surrendering a greater life that God has offered. You are giving up something even better. You're taking okay instead of great. Give Jesus an opportunity to show you that. Folks, one of the ways that you know if you really understand Jesus is to see how truly thankful you are. Paul's point here is that you can't truly know Jesus and not be thankful. It's not possible because what he's done for us is so big and so permanent and so forever and so transformative and so significant. When we realize that we have been rescued, we can't help but say thanks. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that that's true. We thank you that you love us, Lord. We thank you that you have moved towards us through your son, that we can know peace, deep and lasting peace, that we can know that peace through you. We thank you, Father, that you want 
to fill every corner of our life, even the broken parts, even the ugly parts that you want to fill us and and make us whole. Father, we thank you that, that you tell us that you want to work in and through us to change us from the inside out so that what we say and do are different. Father, I know I can't accomplish that on my own, and I am so grateful that you've made it possible. Lord, I ask that you challenge us. Where are those areas that we keep you away? Where are those areas that we're trying to to push you out of? Challenge each of us to be honest with you, to be vulnerable with you, and to understand what are those things that you want us to surrender so we can experience something even richer. We thank you that Jesus makes this possible, that the name of Jesus makes this possible, his beautiful, beautiful name. We pray this in your son's precious name. Amen.